But let me ask you this question. Why do you think the show was so popular? What do you think contributed to the show's success in the 80s? Anybody want to take a guess? What? What? Uh, well, I'll I tell you why I think it was. It's because I believe it got to the heart of what every single person longs for and desires, and that is authentic community, authentic relationships. Listen, whether or not you know it, uh, it is something that we all want. No matter, no matter how you're wired this morning, if you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert, if you're socially adept or socially awkward, something deep inside of your soul longs for meaningful relationships with other human beings. We long to know others and to be known by them. We long for a community where people are always glad you came. Everybody's troubles are all the same. You want to go. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Right? That's what we want to do. Uh, But unfortunately, some of us have never found this sort of community in our lives. And what's sadder is that we live in a world where we are more connected technologically than we've ever been But at the same time, we are more isolated personally than we've ever been. We interact more with a computer screen or a screen in front of us than we do with actual real people. And as a result, what's happened is is we desperately need to rediscover the depth of community that God has designed for each of us in Christ as members of his church. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those up. We're going to be in the book of Acts. Acts is in your New Testament. We're going to be in there a little later and. And uh, we're going to be there for the next two weeks. And so uh, this morning is kind of, kind of be an introduction uh, a little bit for you guys. And so then next week we're going to dig a little bit deeper in the book of Acts. But it's going to be Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at specifically Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. 42 through 47. And I'm going to use a few other scriptures throughout the sermon that I'll, I'll give those to you. And you can write those down and then you can go uh, check those out later. And so... So here, here's what my goal is. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts is in your New Testament, if you're not familiar. And um, Acts is really the, the history of the church. Bless you, by the way. Yeah, um, Acts is really the, the, the history of the church. It's where the church began. And so my goal over the next two weeks is this. You ready? Here's my goal. My goal is to persuade you to convince you to see the value, the importance, and the benefits of being connected into community, being connected into authentic community, being connected to a small, small group, right? And and specifically today, what I want to show you is how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that that he came to this earth and that he died for our sins, and that he raised from the dead, and that he, he wants to give us new life, and he wants to give us a new heart, and he wants to transform and change our life, how the gospel forms this community that we're talking about. So today, that's what I want to get to you. I want to get that point across to you, and I want to show you how the gospel forms community. And I realize that that's going to be a challenge this morning and next week because, listen, time, time is a very precious commodity. Time is something that we don't have a lot of. And we can sit here this morning and we can think of a ton of things that we have during the week on our plates. We've got to run the kids here, we've got to run the kids there, we've got this appointment, we've got that appointment. We can think of a bazillion other things that we have going on in our lives. And now I'm asking you to be a part of a small group, to set aside time each week to be a part of a small group. And you're saying to yourself, but I don't have that kind of time. Isn't Sunday morning sufficient enough? Besides, I've already got friends. 
Half of them I don't like, right? That's what you're thinking. Why do I need that? Or, or may, maybe, maybe this morning you have some misconceptions about what small group is. Maybe you think small group is where people try to get in touch with their feelings, where there's a whole lot of hugging and crying and that mushy stuff, you know, and you're like, man, that just ain't for me. Or you picture a small group as a bunch of people sitting in a circle holding hands and singing kumbaya or something. Yeah, I, I don't know what your, your idea of small group is, but I can tell you those two things, they sound frightening to me. Like if that's what small group is, I don't want to be a part of it. So my hope today is to dispel those fears and to show you how the gospel actually forms community. Our purpose here at Chester Christian Church is simple. It's, it's written on the, the wall as you come into the, the auditorium here. It's in our program uh, that you have in front of you. And it's to simply to make much of Jesus, because Jesus is the center of everything. He is, he is it. And by reaching people with the gospel, which is Jesus, discipling people in the gospel, and equipping people to share the gospel. And so let me ask you this question. What do you think the best way for us as a church is to disciple people in the gospel? What do you think the best way is? You think it's Sunday morning? You think this, this environment here is the best way to disciple people? Yeah, listen, I love Sunday mornings. I love Sunday mornings. I love the opportunity to gather together each week with the church family, with you guys, to see your beautiful, smiling faces. I love, especially you, Russ. You just, you're just such a beautiful person, man. You know, and, and I love gathering here, and I love to preach the gospel. I love to be able to exalt Jesus and lift him up and, and to be encouraged. I love those things. But honestly, as great as this is, as great as Sunday morning is, probably isn't the best environment for discipleship. The best environment for discipleship is when you get together with another group of, other group of people from the church or another group of people within the community that, that are Christians, that are, that are like-minded, that are Christ followers. And you get together and you, for, for, like for me, it's, it's sitting in a living room with some guys watching football talking about marriage. Right, Chris? And how we can be better husbands and better fathers. It's about sitting at Buffalo Wild Wings, man, with a group of guys and talking about how we can make much of Jesus in our workplace. Or it's a, for you ladies, it's about, it's about getting together at Starbucks or Panera or wherever you guys get together. I don't know. Uh, Epic, Epic Nail? Is that even a place? I don't know. Where, wherever you guys get together and, and, and discuss about how you can be better moms and better wives. It's about digging deeper in the truths of God's Word with a group of individuals learning how to apply the gospel in your life. It's about learning how to be obedient to the gospel. And listen, Sunday morning is, is great. Now, I love Sunday morning, but we're only going to go so deep on Sunday morning, I can tell you that. Because we have a variety of people here. We have people here that, that maybe never even heard the gospel. We have people here that have been at church for their whole life, and they know the gospel, or they know about the gospel. But they've never really applied it to their life. They're not really living the gospel out. And that's what we want to do here at Chester Christian Church. We want to challenge you to live the gospel out, to, 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 to know the gospel and to live it out and be discipled in it. And we feel the best way to do that is to be a part of a small group. Because, listen, it's easy to come into this place on Sunday morning and just get lost. I mean, you can easily come in the doors on Sunday morning and sit in the back and then just slip out at the end of the service and, and just not be known, just kind of get lost. That's easy. And we want to challenge you to, to be a part of a small group, man, where you're digging in the Word and where you're being obedient. Because listen, God did not save us to sideline us, but God has saved us to participate in this awesome mission. God has given each of us a purpose, 
And that purpose is to come alongside of each other and to work together as a team to fulfill the mission of his redemptive work here in this world. Amen? And there's nothing that's more adventurous. There's nothing more risky. There's nothing that's more uh, audacious than that. And God has given us that. So let me just ask you, who do you think put that longing, that desire in your soul for authentic community? I'm not talking about surface-level friendship, but I'm talking about real, authentic friendship. Who do you think put that desire in you? You guys can answer. This is, you guys can conversate with me. God. That's right, God did. In Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, in chapter 1, verse 26, we see the creation account. And it says, God spoke everything into existence. And then he says, let us, verse chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image. Now, now God hadn't created the first human being, and yet he says, let us. Who is us in that, in that verse? Who's us? Yeah, the Trinity, the triune God. It's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, God himself exists in community, always has. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in perfect community, perfect love, perfect communication, perfect oneness. They absolutely love one another, and they have absolute oneness. And we, his creation, were made in his image. Now, if you read through the creation accounts, you'll see that each day that God created, uh, that he spoke something into existence, what did he always end up by saying? That it was? Okay, when in the creation account was the first time that God said it was not good? Yeah, you Bible scholars know what it is, right? You guys have been in church your whole life. It's when, when God created man and he saw that he was, he, was, he was alone, he says it's not good for man to be alone. God, our creator, who lives in perfect community with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, realizes that it's not good for man to be alone. He created us for this community. He, he put that longing and that desire within us. But I also want to point, point you to another guy who who was the wisest man who ever lived. His name is King Solomon. And you may not be familiar with King Solomon, but King Solomon uh, was the son of King David. You may be familiar with King David, but King David was the second king of Israel. It says that King David was a man after God's own heart. He wrote most of the, the Psalms in, in the Bible. And King Solomon was, was his son. And King Solomon comes to God, and God says, Listen, you can ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And King Solomon asked for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom, and King Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the Old Testament, you can write this down, in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, this is what King Solomon wrote. Are you ready for this? King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, Two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his friend. But woe! Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And then he adds, the very end, he says, a threefold threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so what you have here is you have God, the creator of the universe, who says it's not good for man to be alone, and then you have the wisest man who ever lived who says that two are better than one, and three is even better. So what I want to do this morning is I want to try a little experiment with you. You guys want to try a little experiment? All right, I need, I need a, just the manliest man in this room. All right, I need, don't all you guys jump up at once, okay? I need, the, I need the strongest, manliest man in this room. Who wants to volunteer? Come on, man. You guys, did you guys ever watch Tim the, Tim the Toolman Taylor? What, what was that he used to 
Come on up here, Russ. Come on up here. Well, how, how did he do that? He would always go, you got to do that. All right, all right, all right good, good deal. Now, now here, here's, here's the thing. I want to make a point with, with what Solomon said, all right? Solomon says two are better than one, right? So what I have, you know, I have in my hand is a pencil. Now, I have not done anything to this pencil. This is a store-bought pencil. I want to see if you can break it. Can you break that pencil? Snapped it like a twig. Do you guys see that? Right? That's, dude, flex those muscles. You guys see that, man? That's awesome, man. Right? Dude, you can just throw that down. There you go. Oh, good shot, man. Good shot. Now, now what I have, so Solomon says, so God says that he, not, he created us for community. He, he put that desire in us. Solomon says two are better than one. And so what I have here is a, is a group of pencils, all right, more than one, all right? And I want you to see if you can break this pencil. <laughs> Come on back up here. I'm serious. Listen, if you do, listen, if he does break it, he's going to ruin my illustration, so. Can't do it. Are you trying to look? What are you trying to do? I don't, I don't have a saw up here, man. I was just looking at something I could break it on. I don't know. No. Break it over your head. Yeah, I don't think it'll work. Come up here, Tom. You can help me with this. Yeah. Can't do it. All right. Sorry. Anybody else want to try? Zach, you play football, man. You lift weights? You want to try? You're a manly man. All right. All right. All right. Thanks. You guys give Russ a hand. So, so what I want you to see is that we are stronger together than we are alone. So, so if we know this, if we know this, then what makes, there's my question for you, if we know that, that two are better than one, if we know that we're stronger in community and in relationships, then why, what makes community so difficult? Well, why, why do we struggle to form and cultivate those deep relationships with, the, with, with each other? Why, why do we do that? Why, why is it a struggle? Well, why do we struggle with making time for something that's so obviously important? Why do we do that? Well, I'll tell you why, because I want you to think for a second about the nature of your relationships. And I think you'll quickly identify another tendency that's present within us, something that is actually darker than your God-given desire for community. And that is the tendency to use people to meet your own needs first. See, we have a tendency to worship self. And this plays out in two different ways. We all fall in these two two camps right here. We have a tendency to worship self. And and the first one is we constantly swing from one extreme to the other. We, we, We either overestimate ourselves or we underestimate ourselves. We either value ourselves as supreme, like we know better than God, or we devalue ourselves as nothing. Those who value themselves as supreme have a high opinion of themselves. They are self-reliant. I can do things on my own. I can handle my own problems and my own challenges. They, they, they are self-sufficient. They don't want to let anyone close because you're scared that people might actually see the real you. They, they want to be in control. They try to control other people by keeping them at a distance. We keep ourselves busy in order to fill the void of, of living in authentic community. And listen, this overestimation of self, this self-worship, this inflation of ego is what the Bible calls pride. Proverbs 6, 6, 6, 16-19 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And since we are supreme in our own eyes, what we're saying is, is that we are 
number one. We are the top dog. We are top priority. It's me and not God. And the Bible also calls that idolatry. We are an idol to ourselves. We worship self. Now the other extreme is self-deprecation. We have no value. We, we, we value ourselves as nothing, which not only neglects the image of God within us, but what we're also doing is actually denying the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And see, most of the time, this is played out in a humorous kind of way, right? We, we downplay our significance. We constantly joke about our lack of self-worth and self-value. We go, man, I'm nobody. I can't do that. I'm no good or I'm not that important. And what you're doing is you're trying to control other people as well because what you're doing is you're looking for significance and validation from other people. Because when you say those things, you're looking for other people to say, oh, man, you can do it. You're good. No, you're all right. And listen, both extremes have an improper biblical view of ourselves. And the Bible teaches us that no one sees himself properly until he sees himself as God sees him. And the only way that anyone can see himself as God does is when he sees himself in the light of God's glorious holiness and grace, in light of the crucified Christ. And in both extremes, the individual is seeking attention. They're seeking attention for themselves and they're seeking it in all the wrong places. They're looking for validation from others. We're seeking attention from other people. We're trying to find our self-worth and our self-value from others rather than finding our self-worth and self-value from Jesus Christ. And this is why community is so difficult for us, because we're all a mess, because we're neck deep in the worship of self, because we're concerned about me. And so my question is, man, what, 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 what do we do about it? What, what, what do we do about this situation? Because what we need is someone who can deliver us from our selfishness and restore our capacity for a true, authentic, lasting community. And this is where the good news of the gospel enters in. This is where the good news of the gospel meets us. The gospel tells us the hard truth that we are idolaters and that we are prideful. But the gospel is also the greatest demonstration of love that Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty for our idolatry and for our pride. John 15, 13 says that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so the gospel gives us both humility and confidence. For those of us who are wrapped up in self, who struggle with pride and self-sufficiency and self-reliance, the gospel humbles us and it grounds us because Jesus went to the cross. What he was saying is this, that you are so lost and so messed up, that you are so condemned that nothing less than the death of the Son of God could save you. And for those of you who are self-deprecating, who think that no one can love you or have no value, the gospel gives us confidence because when Jesus went to the cross, he was also saying that I love you so much that you are a person of such value and worth that I am willing to lay down my life for you. And so do you see how the gospel eradicates both views? Because our confidence is not in me. I don't have to be the boss of me. I don't have to have that, that control over people because I'm accepted and I'm loved by God through Jesus Christ. And if we will learn that, if we will accept that, if we will surrender to that and let go of control, because listen, Jesus lost control for you and me. Jesus left heaven to come to earth. He had everything. He lost control. He, 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 let, he, he willingly went to the cross to die for our pride and for our idolatry. 
He lost control for you and me. He laid down his life for us. And when we are able to see ourselves in light of God's holiness and the light of what Christ did for us, man, that's life altering. That is life changing. That's the gospel good news. And only the gospel is going to free us from the worship of self. Because our confidence is no longer in me, but it's in Christ who laid down his life for me. We no longer seek approval from other people because God accepts us and approves us through Jesus Christ. And because of his great love for me, check this out, because of God's great love for me, when you see that, I can in turn lay down my life for others. The gospel is the remedy. Our identity needs to be in Jesus, and that's how the gospel forms community. You see? You see what I'm saying? You guys understand? Makes sense. So let's look at this in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And I just want to point out one, one thing this morning to you guys. And then next week, like I said, we'll dig a little bit deeper in this. Because today, I'm just trying to, to get across that the gospel forms community, right? Next week, we're going to talk about how the gospel continually forms community, okay? And we're going to get a little bit deeper in that. So, so let's look at the, the book of Acts here. The Apostle Peter has just preached the first gospel message. And 3,000 people... 3,000 people uh, responded immediately. How awesome would that be, right? They talk about church growth. 3,000 people, and it says that they were baptized, right? And then in verse 42, this is what it says. You guys there? You guys ready? I'm reading from the ESV, by the way, just just so you know. It says, and they devoted themselves. This is the the first group of, of believers, the first Christians. And I want you to notice what it says. It says that they devoted themselves. Their lives have been radically changed transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says they were cut to the heart. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread there is a reference to to communion, what we do every week here at Christian Church. We, We remember the Lord's sacrifice and the prayers. And it says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, check this verse out. This is the verse I want us to focus on today. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. A group of 3,000 people had all things. They were, they were together in one mind. They had all things in common. They had unity. 3,000 people. We'll come back to that. And then they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, which means that, 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 that they didn't give out of the overflow of what they already had. Uh, they didn't have a savings account back then, but they were selling their possessions to take care of the needs of others. They laid down their lives because the gospel was transforming them. And day by day, attending the temple, temple together, so they, 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 they gathered together in corporate worship, just like we are here right now, and breaking bread in their homes. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think 3,000 people are going to fit in homes? In one home? So not only did they gather corporately together like we do here on Sunday morning, but they gathered, they devoted themselves, they gathered together in homes. And let me tell you, the homes in the first century are not like our homes today. Uh, You're not getting uh, 20 people in a home. Well, you probably could, but it would be jam-packed, right? And they received their food with glad and generous hearts because the gospel was transforming them. Praising God and having favor with all people. That, That verse right there always amazes me. Not just Christian people, but all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So in these, in these few verses, we see how the gospel forms deep community. And that's what's so beautiful about the gospel. 
I want you to think about this, man. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They had unity. Only the gospel can do that. I want you to think about the diversity that's in our church alone. Right? We have people here with different backgrounds. We have different ethnicity groups. We have different uh, color here. We have different tastes in food, music, and entertainment. But because God has transformed us, because the gospel has taken root in our hearts, we share a common bond that's deeper than anything that can divide us. We are together only because of the gospel. And unity in the gospel is much deeper than any surface uniformity. Would you agree? The reason why most community is shallow or surface level is because it's built on temporary foundations. Most Most relationships are built on commonalities that change over time. And I'm not dissing that. Listen, if, you, if your uh, friendship is built on commonalities, man, there's nothing wrong with that. But typically when the common bond changes, the relationship changes. Like if you're married, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Because, you know, when Robert and I first, when Robert and I first moved here, we, we became friends with a couple that actually went to church here. They, they've, they've since moved and, and they live in Wisconsin now. But we keep in touch with them. They're a great couple. A lot of you may know them, Jeff and Holly Lemons. You guys remember Jeff and Holly Lemons? Yeah, we became friends with them, man, and we actually... Neither one of us had kids, all right? So we, we moved here, uh, we, and, and it was great, man. We, we shared a common bond. We had some, some same interests, and we laughed a lot together, and it was great to hang out with them. And what was cool about it was is that without kids, man, spontaneity was cool, right? You could just call each other up 8.30 at night and say, hey, let's go to this place and get some dessert, or let's go over here and do this. All right, you could just do that because you didn't have kids, right? And then, and then what happened was that changed when we had our first kid, Jude, because no longer, like, you just, that kills spontaneity. You just can't do that anymore, right? You know, it's not like you can call each other up and say, hey, can we, I got a kid now. Dang. All right. So it just, it just kills that. And so that, that's, that's what I'm getting at, right? You can't do that anymore. The point I make is this. If friendships are built on something, if friendships aren't built on something deeper, than, than finding good restaurants or working at the same company or having kids and the same activities, uh, th- th- they will change whenever the common bond is no longer there. And community is only as strong as what it's built upon. And nothing is as strong as the gospel. The gospel is the deepest foundation for community. See, what connects Christians is the reality that we are all very messed up people, broken by our sin before a holy and righteous God, and yet we are rescued and given new life in Christ. That's, that's what bonds us together. That's what this, this diverse room of people here, that's what we have in common. And that, common is, that, that commonality is deeper than anything else. I want you to listen to, to Jesus' longest recorded prayer in John 17. He records uh, this prayer, and this is what it says. In verses 20 through 21, Jesus is praying. He says, I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, which is us, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What this means is this. When we live together in Christian community, regardless of background, regardless of race, regardless of anything, when we are together because of the gospel, it is the best defense of our faith. It's the best apologetic. While on earth, community will not be perfect. It's going to be messy because we're, we're, we're fallen creatures. We're fallen by nature. You know, we're just fallen. But we don't seek it out to serve ourselves. We seek it out because God has created us in his image and Christ has redeemed us and given us value. 
Because of that, we can lay down our lives for each other for the sake of the gospel and growing in the gospel. Listen, the grand narrative of Scripture, like if, you, if you looked at Genesis to Revelation, the grand narrative of Scripture features community through the whole thing. In the beginning, God graciously gave community to Adam and Eve when he created them in the garden. But sin distorted and messed up the perfect community they shared. Yet in God's mercy, he pursued and established a new community called the Israel, his, his chosen people in the Old Testament. That's what the rest of the Old Testament, from, 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 from Exodus, as they exit out of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, as they exit out, and through the rest of the, new te- the Old Testament, you have this community, this nation, this Israel, this people. And then you jump into the New Testament, and through Jesus Christ, he pursues us, and he established his church. And the end of the story is yet to be realized, but the promise of eternal and everlasting community will be fulfilled. Listen to what John, who writes in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4, says. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Man, how awesome is that? The community that we experience, that we enjoy in heaven will be forever. It will be perfect. The community that we experience now is a reflection of that community. This is why the gospel must be the foundation for community. There is nothing stronger, nothing deeper than the gospel on which to build community. Do you agree? All right. Have I convinced you? I still got one more week. So here's the challenge for today, okay? Here's the challenge. Um, my challenge is, is simple. First, if, if you're not a Christian, if you've never placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, man, I want to encourage you to, to, to make that step today. Just to surrender. Let go of control. Jesus, let go of control for you. And I want to encourage you to let go and surrender to him. So that's the first challenge. The second, second challenge is this, if you're in a small group, man, if you're already participating in a small group, I want to encourage you to, to be devoted to it. Stay with it. Uh, yeah, it will be tough sometimes. Community is messy. But the gospel forms community, and it's deeper than anything else. So I want to encourage you to be devoted to it. If, the other challenge is this, if you're not in a small group, man, I want you to pray about that. I want you to think about being a part of a small group. Inside your program that you received this morning, there's a, there's a tear-off section, and one of the little dots that you can fill in there is, is, called, is being contacted about joining a small group. In just a little while, when we uh, continue to worship a little bit and we take up our offering, you have a chance to drop that form in the offering plate. And I would encourage you, if you're not a part of a small group, to check that box, and you'll be contacted about participating in a small group. You guys good? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. This life changing, this transforming. And Father, our desire here at Chester Christian Church is, is not just to reach people with the gospel of God, but it's also to disciple people in the gospel. It's to see, it's to see lives being changed and transformed. It's to see... To see 
a community of people that are, that are being obedient to your word and living out the gospel. We thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the things that we see in the early church that we read there in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is, is that uh, they, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And every single week here at Church of Christian Church, we do that. Uh, here in just a few minutes as we sing, the, the, the guys are going to come around, they're going to pass uh, a plate of bread around to you. And that represents Christ's body that was broken on the cross. I want to encourage you to take a piece of that bread. And then we'll pass uh, a tray of juice and take a cup of juice, and that cup of juice represents the blood that was shed on the cross that covers over our sins. And I want you to take that time, man, and just uh, remember what Christ did for you, the sacrifice he made, and then celebrate the fact that we have victory in Jesus. So let's take that time this morning to do that.